What's good? Before we continue my first ever journey through the Harry Potter series, just a few quick announcements. First, if you have ever wanted to see me and the rest of the Multitude crew live in Seattle the same weekend as PodCon 2, you're in luck because that exact situation is happening the Thursday and the Friday of PodCon weekend, January 17th and January 18th. There will be two Multitude live shows, an earlier show on Thursday, a late show on Friday. It's going to feature all your favorite hosts from Multitude, as well as a bunch of really fun guests. I'll be taking part in a Harry Potter debate. There's going to be stuff for spirits during the party horse. It's going to be fantastic. The guest lineup is so solid. I'm really excited about it. Tickets are selling fast. So I would say if you are thinking about doing this, get those tickets before they sell out. If you go to bit.ly slash multitude in Seattle, you can get your tickets and I'm really excited about it and I hope to see you there. Also, it is the first episode in December, meaning that it is donation time here at Potterless. We donate $1 for every member of our team over at patreon.com slash Potterless to a different charity each month. And at the time of recording, we have 572 patrons, meaning we'll be giving $572 to the California Community Foundation's Wildlife Relief Fund. I think this one was a no-brainer. California has really been struggling with the wildfire situation over the past month or so, and it's devastating to see, and I'm glad that we can do anything that we can help It seems like things have subsided, but I know that still people have been evacuated and displaced from their homes, so I wish nothing but the best for all of those families, for anyone affected by it, and hopefully our donation can help out, even if it's just a little bit. And of course, Potterless would not be possible without the help of our lovely Patreon team. And we have new patrons to welcome to that team. So shout out to David Satloff, Laura Vorwald, Kimberly Savage, Felicitas Wagoner, Stephanie DeLorme, Naomi Smith, Bart Feuerstein, Elizabeth Mosier, Taylor Smith, Lauren Wood, Caroline Heine, Ingeborg Skarsfjord, Danny and her loyal pup Ludo, Franka Zeisler, Kelly Windsor, Tony Henley, Graylin Blank, Jake Rudder, Andrew Cogner, Talal Fazmin, Ashley Hawthorne, Leanne, Bridget Leonard, Paul Astero, Emily Scott, Ashley Chandler, Socrates. Costopoulos, Fiona Henry, Tao Mai Nguyen, Emily Rex, Marina Martinez, Christy, James Rain, Sarita Basu, Gonchalo, Diaz Nunez, May Farrell, Chelsea W, Randy Grenier, Cristala Panayi, Olivia Berry, and Bianca Carrasco. Shout out to Max Bidgood, who upgraded his pledge, and a huge shout out to our newest producer-level patrons, John Kotker, Jen and Juice, Seferine Bayes, Dusty Nickram, and the return of Kumail Doc. They join the ranks of Leanne, Vicky, Aaron, Erica, Calvin, Sadie, Jessica, Natalie, Deborah, Clow, Alex, Frank, Marchismo, Tori, Samantha, Juan, Jenna, Kieran, Luis, Rebecca, Abid, Caitlin, Benjamin, Rosemary, Jill, Marie, Lisa, Ariel, Romina, Camille, Anthony, Russell, Dustin, Katie, Audra, Indiana, Eleanor, Sydney, Billy, Roxanne, Micah, Andrea, Nikita, Colette, Chrissy, Shrina, Lala, Chelsea, Taylor, Lovekesh, Shivani, Ali, Cowmage, Cassandra, Roxy, Amelia, Sean, Jeremiah, Sarah, Jesus, Ben, Rachel, Marcus, Zachary, Gabrielle, Jessica, Natalie, Arna, Brandy, Melody, Kristen, Jonathan, Zach, Elisa, Daisy, Jessica, Orchid, Jonathan, Joe, Isabel, Steve, Vivian, Samuel, Victoria, Elena, Takari, Darlene, Brenna, Drake, James, Haley, Marino, Braden, Matthew, Taylor, Hannah, Angelina, Ross, Marie, Peter, Maria, Fones, Natalie, Hermione, Victoria. Lee, Alex, Brian, Caitlin, Cecily, Raul, Julie, Mosin, Grace, Sammy, Raul, Ingen, Mari, Brianne, Heidi, and Alexandra, who never do that thing where when you try to drink water, it goes down the wrong pipe and you look like you're drowning just when you tried to take a sip of water. If you want to be like one of these amazing people and get access to bonus content like exclusive merchandise, bonus episodes, my notes, you can head on over to patreon.com slash Potterless. But without further ado, let's get into episode 56 of Potterless, covering chapters 27 and 28 of Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, guest-starring John. Hello, Internet, and welcome back 
to another episode of Potterless, the tale of a 26-year-old man reading the Harry Potter series for the first time. My name is Mike Schubert. I'm that 26-year-old man, and I am joined by a good old bud from college, one of my bestest friends in the whole wide world, and fellow nerd that likes to make jokes with me, Johnny Frolicstein. Johnny, how's it going? It's good. I'm honored to be back and invited back for a second one. Yeah, I'm surprised that the podcast did not get canceled immediately after posting your first episode with how stupid we are and stupid we were, but we're still here. We live to see another day. As the two worst humans on God's green <laughs> earth, I'm, I'm glad that the whole thing didn't get canceled the second we were putting <laughs> the same audio file together, yes. Yeah, I'm surprised I didn't get any sort of audio error when I tried to export that, which is like, no, don't do this. <laughs> don't, don't, don't do this. Are you sure? Are you really sure? <laughs> you really want to put this on the internet for people to listen to. You really want tens of thousands of people to listen to this? You sure? Well, that's all right. Nobody's going to be listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> so we are here to discuss chapters 27 and 28 of Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, which basically play out like an action movie. So let's get right into that action. Chapter 27 is called The Lightning Struck Tower, which I didn't realize, but Kelly Beckman informed me. A little Easter egg is that this is the card that the Trelawney divination keeps card. reading. Yep, it's the divination card that Trelawney keeps reading and referencing that she has to warn Dumbledore about. And this gets back to the lovely, I don't even know if you call it a fan theory or if it's just the true theory that Trelawney is right in these weird offhand kind of predictions that she makes a lot, like when she says the the 13 and the first one to leave dies thing or whatever. Like, I think Dumbledore was the person that left that table and he dies in this chapter. But yeah, so Harry lays Dumbledore up against a rock and he concentrates on Hogsmeade and gets ready to apparate because they got to leave the death cave and get back. And surprisingly, it works. And there's no splinching or anything like that. Not even half of an eyebrow is gone. They're all good to Incredibly go. clutch apparition. The most important of Harry's career. So Dumbledore is not feeling great. He is pretty rough. Harry says that he's got to get Dumbledore back to the school so that he can see Madame Pomfrey. Dumbledore corrects him and says, no, 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 I need Snape. Harry says, right. And then again, says something to the effect of, we got to get you back to the school. I'll get Madame Pomf. And he butts in and says, I need Snape. <laughs> so Harry says, okay, fine, fine, fine. And just as Harry says, he's going to leave Dumbledore for a quick second to run into the school and get help. Madame Rosmerta comes and I am very upset because at this point, I do not trust Madame Rosmerta as far as I can throw her. And we will soon learn that my thoughts are correct because what I've been predicting throughout many episodes of Potterless is that Madame Rose Murta is up to some shit and uh, she's up to some shit. Harry asks if she can keep Dumbledore in the three broomsticks while he goes to get some help. She says that Harry can't go alone into the castle. He asks why and she says the dark mark is there and they look and sure enough it's there. We're back to Harry being a like massive idiot <laughs> because she's like you can't go up there alone don't you realize what's happened and he's like no no if you help me support him we can get it inside and then i can go up and she's like no no, no, no you cannot go up and then dumbledore's like what happened <laughs> so stupid he's keeping his stupid streak alive she says because uh, the dark mark and my thought here and this doesn't end up actually being it's kind of right but this seems like a fake dark mark to get dumbledore to go to the school which is what it ends up being. But 
I thought that it was going to be a step further with what happens later, but I thought this was going to be all part of some sort of Madame Rosmer to plan, which it kind of is, but we'll see the details of this later. She says it appeared just minutes ago, and Dumbledore says that they must return to the school at once. He asks her for brooms. She says that she has them, and Harry accios the brooms. They come flying. Dude, when Dumbledore was like, Harry can get the brooms, I was having, expecting him to be like, oh yeah, uh, I'll just go grab them. <laughs> I really thought Harry was going to run into the three broomsticks. I did not think he was going to use Accio. I thought he'd be like, oh yeah, I'll be right back. Where are they? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> There's a passage about the dark mark where it says, there it was, hanging in the sky above the school, the blazing green skull with a serpent tongue, the mark Death Eaters left behind whenever they had entered a building, wherever they had murdered. It's like, thanks for the refresher. Yeah, I mean, you gotta <laughs> leave it to the narrator to always give us a recap at Make any sure. point that they can, just in case someone has picked up just the sixth book and none of the others. And open it to page 581. <laughs> Dumbledore tells Rosamurta to inform the Ministry of what's happened, and he tells Harry to put on his invisibility cloak. He says that there is a chance that no one at the school knows what's up, so they need to keep that in mind when they are dealing with this issue. So they get on the brooms, they start to fly. Harry is expecting that he's going to have to make sure Dumbledore is okay and kind of keep him on his broom and not falling off. But he looks over at Dumbledore and he sees that Dumbledore is just fully focused and ready to go. So Athlete Dumbledore is back. <laughs> he's back, baby. Harry describes Dumbledore seeing the dark mark as if it was a stimulant. It's kind of snapped him back into action. Harry's freaking out because on this flight, he realizes that he has potentially put his friends in danger by having them look into the Malfoy situation. So he fears that the death could be for one of his friends and essentially he would be responsible for their death. He has this very sad thing where he thinks to himself, will I be responsible for the death of another friend? Which, ah, uh, ah. Uh, serious. Mm. So they're flying back. And this is the point where I get very nervous because while they are flying back, Dumbledore starts muttering. Harry realizes that it is Dumbledore undoing the charms that don't let people just fly into the school grounds. And what I thought was going to happen was that this was all a plan so that this would happen. And then the Death Eaters would either start flying in or apparating in or something. This turns out not to be the plan. But regardless of whether or not this is what ended up being the way to get the Death Eaters into the school. How do the professors at Hogwarts not have some sort of walkie-talkie type system where Dumbledore can ring up McGonagall and buy her wand or spell or something, be like, yo, what's going on? And try to warn them, hey, there's a dark mark, get the kids safe. How is there nothing like that? I'm gonna push up my glasses and say that walkie-talkies actually don't work at Hogwarts. If you've read Hogwarts, then yes, yes, yes. But how is there not a magic equivalent of this? So there actually is. It's referenced in about ten pages. The gold coin system. <laughs> oh gosh, no, oh, gross. <laughs> No, but like, I don't understand how there's not some sort of emergency, even just something that McGonagall and Dumbledore can use to get back to each other because one of them is always at the school. So you think there's gotta be some way for him to communicate with her. And I can't believe that they have nothing in place to do so. It's a fair point. But that's the magical world we live in. So they're flying back and the dark mark they notice is on top of the astronomy tower. And Harry wonders if that's the actual location of the murder. I thought that if they just did it because it's at the tallest point, so that'll get rid of the most enchantments. But <laughs> that is not what happened. So they get to the area and it is deserted. So there's this really fun phrase that gets used a lot in this chapter when they're talking about 
the astronomy tower, which I had to Google because I didn't know what it was. But it says when they fly in that, quote, Dumbledore had already crossed the crenellated ramparts and was dismounting. And I learned that crenellated ramparts are basically those things on a castle where either archers or the guys from Monty Python, the French people that kind of look over and is like, you smell oh, yeah. the bellies. Like, it's those kind of <laughs> things on top of a castle that keep people safe. So it kind of shows that they are in this area that has somewhat of an exterior wall so people can't really see exactly what's going down. But yes, they get into the crenellated ramparts and the word ramparts is said many times throughout this chapter, which was just fun to hear that one again and again. I learned a new word. In my youth, I was in a band named the crenellated ramparts. That, oh, that's a good band name, <laughs> the crenellated ramparts. That would be a good Harry Potter band name for a wizard rock group because there is some wizard rock groups and I don't mean to be mean, but a lot of the well-known ones have very boring names like Harry and the Potters. Well, it's like the Weird Sisters, which is already a band in it. And then Harry and the Potters. And then there's another one that's like Malfoy and the Death Eaters where, I don't know, do something. Crenellated Ramparts. Yeah, use a phrase from Harry Potter. I guess Crenellated Ramparts isn't the most magical thing, but use a phrase from Harry Potter that isn't just the title or the musical band that's referenced. I don't know. I do something more. He hangs out with. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be like, you know, try to do something that's a little more out of the box. Have a more fun band name. Like one that makes you kind of wonder what it is. What does Panic at the Disco mean? I don't know, but now it's just Brandon Yuri since everybody's quit the band. Dude, Toddler <laughs> Harry's back at it again when they're on the way up to the castle and he's like, Dumbledore, is this the real mark? Like, what does it mean? Has somebody definitely is like, shut up. <laughs> well, I mean, these are valid questions for Harry to ask because that's the thing with the dark mark is that it's supposed to be used after they murder someone, but the only two instances we've actually seen, not just been referenced, but actually seen in the book are when there weren't murders. Because I don't think anybody actually was murdered at the Quidditch World Cup. I think they just put it up when they were coming through and be like, we're here. Eh. So I think it's a valid question for Harry to ask. Hey, is someone actually dead? And the other thing is he's worried that like Ron or Hermione is dead. So he's really just kind of expressing his anxiety out loud. It's a valid question, but at the same time, it's sort of a need to know kind of thing, right? Because Dumbledore is clearly in charge at this point, And it's like, just shut up and let dad drive. Just like let him think, <laughs> let him do his thing. Like you're literally saying, are we there yet? Are we there? <laughs> yeah. He really just kind of needs to take a back seat and just let Dumbledore do it and then, you know, ask questions later. So they get to the crenellated ramparts and it's deserted, <laughs> which I knew, I knew it was going to be deserted. I knew that something was up. Harry starts to ask Dumbledore what this means. He sees Dumbledore clutch his chest with his hand before telling Harry to get Snape. Now, here was my question. Was the clutching of the chest a realization that he had been duped or was it a pain thing and he needed Snape to revive him? I couldn't tell what this was. I think this is Dumbledore feeling the effects of the potion still. Okay, so the adrenaline of seeing the dark mark and being worried is kind of worn off, and he's like, oh, right, I'm not in any shape to do anything right now. Right, I think your prediction certainly is coupled with some sort of, I mean, obviously there's some sort of physical pain mechanism to this potion, yeah. Mm -hmm. Whatever it was doing, you know, otherwise, I'll let you find that out later, but sure. obviously here there's also some massive sort of physical aspect to this thing. Yeah. So he tells Harry, quote, tell him what has happened and bring him to me. Do nothing else. Speak to nobody else and do not remove your cloak. I shall wait here. Harry's about to go down the stairs, but he hears footsteps. Dumbledore motions for him to retreat. 
Harry kind of hides behind the door. The door bursts open. Someone uses Expelliarmus, but then Harry's body becomes frozen, which confuses him because Expelliarmus is not a freezing charm. But then Harry sees Dumbledore's wand fly over the crenellated ramparts and... <sighs> I'm going to say it as many times as I can. So his wand flies over the crenellated ramparts and he realizes that Dumbledore did the freezing charm to Harry wordlessly. So what what's the, it said wordlessly in the book, but what's the actual thing that it, that they call nonverbal? it? Nonverbal? Yeah, nonverbal. I was like, when it said wordlessly in the book, I was confused. I wanted to correct the book and be like, no, 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 you mean nonverbally. Pay close attention to those few paragraphs and the sort of way that everything happens very tactically Okay. on this crenellated rampart because mm -hmm. it's very important the way that the sequence of events, that's all I'll say. Okay, cool. I will be sure to keep it in mind. So you notice that his wand flies over the crenellated ramparts and he was using this nonverbal spell to keep Harry in place. It's actually a wordless spell. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you. So you realize that whoever is busted through the door used Expelliarmus on Dumbledore, which makes further sense because Harry's invisible. So there's no way that this person would have used Expelliarmus on Harry. So then the narrator says something that's interesting, which is standing against the ramparts, very white in the face, Dumbledore still showed no sign of panic or distress. I'm sorry, isn't being very white in the face a sign of panic and slash or distress? I guess he's probably white in the face from the physical effects of Oh, not, not, oh, of just okay. not feeling well. My thought that this was the equivalent of like beads of sweat started to dribble down from Dumbledore's <laughs> face, but he wasn't hot. <laughs> or like Harry's teeth started to chatter, but he showed no signs of being cold. <laughs> His cheeks started to flush, but there was no signs of being embarrassed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, two words ago, you said that he was white in the face. <laughs> Well, now we're going to enter Dumbledore just absolutely slaying Malfoy territory. <laughs> oh my goodness, we do. So Dumbledore simply looks the culprit in the eye and says, Good evening, Draco, which I also knew. I'm very glad. I wanted this so badly for Harry that Draco was actually up to some stuff. I really, really wanted it. And we kind of got some hints that it was going to be him obviously because of the Myrtle thing and the bathroom stuff. But even before that, in the very beginning of the book, when we get the Narcissa and the Bellatrix and the Snape thing with the Unbreakable Vow, we knew that there was going to be some sort of thing where Malfoy was going to be tasked with doing something. And it's a bit unfair for me. I can't take full credit for getting this prediction right because I knew that Snape had to kill Dumbledore, or I just knew that Snape did kill Dumbledore. And based on the Unbreakable Vow... I came to the realization, well, I know that Snape has to kill Dumbledore, and what this unbreakable vow basically says is that Snape is going to have to do some sort of really bad and big task that Malfoy might not be able to handle, so I bet that's what it is. So that's why I was able to kind of see this coming, but regardless, just for Harry's sake so that he can have an entire chapter, I really hope chapter 30 is called Told You So, and it's just Harry yelling at Ron and Hermione told you so it for is. 12 pages. Bold good, chapter. good. I really, really hope it is. So it's not. So he says, <laughs> damn it. So Draco says that the Death Eaters are in the school tonight, right under your nose. Dumbledore says, where? Because he seems to be unsupported. And this is the first quip of many where Dumbledore is just in complete badass ice in his veins mode. Yeah, man, this is Quip City. Oh, it's Quip City. Population Dumbledore. <laughs> Draco says that the Death Eaters are fighting with the guards, but they won't be long. Draco decided to come on ahead because he has a job to do which is gotta be kill Dumbledore. Draco stares at Dumbledore, who, described by the narrator, incredibly smiled. You're damn right he smiled. Dumbledore is unfazed, 
by anything that is happening right now. Just sort of imagine that, like, physically, and not just reading it on the page, but imagine that scene mm-hmm. as vividly as you can in your head. How cool is that? Just, like, two guys staring at each other's straight face, and then Dumbledore just, like... <laughs> I give them For all our listeners at home, Johnny smiled. <laughs> so, <laughs> you can't help but smile thinking of that. Come on. It's so good. It's so good. Dumbledore then hits him with another amazing quote. Draco, Draco, you are not a killer. Quip City. <laughs> How do you know? Which even Harry knows Malfoy realized was childish because he can see Malfoy start to blush. You don't know what I'm capable of. You don't know what I've done. Dumbledore cites the Ron and the Katie thing. He says that he's been trying to kill Dumbledore all year. And frankly, the attempts have been feeble at best, which just woof ice in his veins. What this makes me think of is, have you seen the gif of Kobe Bryant and Matt Barnes where Matt Barnes is inbounding the basketball (laughs) and he pump fakes it into Kobe Bryant's face and he doesn't flinch at all. This is literally how I imagine this interaction going down. (laughs) And it's so good. I'll tweet this out or put a link to it in the episode description. But this is a gift that everyone needs to see because it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And this is exactly how Dumbledore handles the situation. He fakes the ball like inches, maybe one inch from Kobe Bryant's face and Kobe Bryant doesn't flinch like anything. It's incredible. Nothing. It's nothing. The best part about it is that Kobe Bryant is kind of swaying back and forth, left to right, left to right. And then Matt Barnes pretends to throw the basketball in his face and he doesn't even blink or move his head or break his swaying of side to side. It is the ultimate standing up to someone trying to make you feel intimidated. I don't understand. It is inhuman. Dumbledore basically realizes that Malfoy won't kill him until the Death Eaters arrive, and it sounds as if the guards, which Dumbledore previously mentioned that Order members were there tonight to protect the school since Dumbledore wasn't going to be there, the guards are doing a good job fending them off. Dumbledore brings up that he is unarmed and says, come on, I'm completely unarmed and you're not even killing me? Come on, Draco, you know you're not going to do this. He then goes on to ask Malfoy how the Death Eaters got in. Malfoy said that he had to repair the old vanishing cabinet that Montague got stuffed into last year, which, huge throwback, first off, didn't see that coming at all. Second, I'm pretty sure that at some point in the last book, in one of the episodes when this happened, I probably said something to the effect of, this is completely unnecessary and we don't need to know this, but it's really funny. I'm almost certain that I made fun of how pointless the whole Montague and the cabinet thing was, and it turned out to be very integral. Ready for me to drive you crazy for the next however long it takes you to read book seven? Oh, no. Why? Is there something else that I've said is not important at all and is very important in seven? So, I don't know if you've called it out. I don't remember. I'm not going to spoil anything. I'm just saying somewhere in the series is just like the tiniest little nugget that just is so (laughs) important. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'll have to see what it is and we'll have to see if I made fun of it. (laughs) So, the Malfoy then goes on to explain how this works. So, apparently... There are two vanishing cabinets, and one is in the school, and one is in Borgen and Burks. Montague told Malfoy that when he got stuck in the vanishing cabinet, he was stuck in limbo between them. But he could hear stuff in the school, but also in the shop. He had to apparate out, even though he had never passed his apparition test. This is why he ended up inside of a toilet. Everyone thought it was just a cool story. Only Malfoy recognized the potential. Even Burks didn't realize. Swirly? Malfoy... Swirly. What? I'm just saying the things that Montague was probably saying (laughs) when he told this story. (laughs) Bruh. 
Bruh. It was fucking crazy. <laughs> so then Malfoy is basically the only person that realizes that if he fixed the cabinet, what this would mean. So there were little sprinklings of this peppered out throughout this book. It was mentioned that in the room of requirement that the cabinet was there and Harry ran past the cabinet when he was hiding his book. And then also this goes back when Harry and the squad is spying on Malfoy in Borgen and Burks when he does the thing which we're assuming is showing the dark mark tattoo, but we can't see it. The cabinet is in the way. That's the cabinet. So there are these like tiny little things that I, I, there's no way any human being would ever guess this. You couldn't have predicted it. I recommend going back and reading that section in Borgen and Burks again, knowing what you know now. Yeah, because then you get the necklace. It's very heavy handed looking back. You couldn't have known, but. It's a thing where like, there's no way that this would be a clue that would tip someone off. Some of the other stuff is more predictable, but there's no way that this would be a clue that would tip someone off. But it's stuff where all of the evidence was laid out. And I know it's not J.K. Rowling's requirement or her job or her responsibility to make this like a whodunit novel because it's not a murder mystery type story. So you don't necessarily need to have perfect clues where you can jump to conclusions. She did make a story like that, The Cuckoo's Calling, um, where that is the point of it. So you're supposed to be able to try to guess it as the reader. And I know that's not the point, but me as person that reads this podcast and try to make predictions, I was pretty bummed when I read this. I, I was just thinking like, what? Come on. Oh, come on. How am I? Get- come on. <laughs> so I was pretty upset at that. This is about me. <laughs> so that's how the Death Eaters got in. I thought that my broom Dumbledore taking down the enchantments thing makes sense. But I guess there is a situation where Dumbledore made the enchantments go down and then immediately go back up. So it couldn't necessarily work and they would have to have perfect timing. Let's get back to Queen. Quip City. Quip City, baby. <laughs> so so we are left to assume that that is what Malfoy has been doing in the Room of Requirement the whole time trying to fix that. Dumbledore congratulates Malfoy on a clever plan. I'm guessing sarcastically, but Malfoy still takes it as a compliment. He says, yeah, yeah, it was a good plan. Yeah, and I yeah, don't think was, Dumbledore it? did at all. <laughs> Dumbledore again critiques his necklace and his meat attempts, saying that they were sloppy. And Malfoy says, ah, whatever, you didn't know it was me. And Dumbledore says, actually, I, I suspect did. you the entire time because I had Snape keeping watch over you. And Malfoy goes, oh, pfft. Snape, Snape just wanted to get in on the action. He doesn't know what's going on. He goes on to say, Dumbledore, you're wrong. Snape's just a double agent. He's actually working against you, which is kind of funny because Snape is a double agent, but he's working against the Death Eaters. He's a double, double agent. At least that is what I assume. Dumbledore again simply states that he trusts Severus Snape. Malfoy then reveals that he is doing all of this to try and become Voldemort's favorite so that Snape won't be Voldemort's favorite anymore. Dumbledore then hits him with a great quote. Quip City's back. Very gratifying. We all like appreciation for our hard work. <laughs> so good. So Ice amazing. Cold. It's so good. Cold-blooded. He then begins to ask Malfoy about the necklace thing, but while he is asking, he puts two and two together that Rose Myrta was put under the Imperious Curse and boom, 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 rap air horns, beep, 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 beep. your boy Young Shub got it right. <laughs> I knew it out of left field. He predicted I, I have undone all the harm that I faced with Ludo Bagman and I finally got a bold prediction, truly bold prediction correct, just because 
In very early chapters of this book, they bring up Ron having a crush on Madame Rosmerta, and they talk about it for too long, and that raised the initial red flag, and then they kept talking about Madame Rosmerta, and I just continued to wonder, why the hell do we care about Madame Rosmerta? We've not cared about her for five and a half books. <laughs> so I'm so proud of myself. Are you proud of me, Johnny? I'm very proud of I'm me. I'm so proud of you. I'm so. If only Ron had had a crush on Ludo Bagman, man, that would have been so much easier for you. <laughs> Well, no, if he did, then I would have suspected him even further. Okay, he needed to right. have a crush on Barty Crouch Jr., who we all assumed was dead. How the <laughs> hell were we supposed to guess him? So, He's in the mansion cabinet. <laughs> oh, gosh, kill me. So Kill me. That's what Dumbledore said in the cave. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So she was forced, under the Imperius curse, to pass off the necklace to a student in hopes that that would get passed on to Dumbledore. And she poisoned the mead before it was given to Slughorn, which was then supposed to be given to Dumbledore for Christmas. And I just wrote real big in my notes, Oh, wow, I was right about something. <laughs> I was very <laughs> pleasantly surprised. Dumbledore, after realizing the plan, comes back to Quip City and says, yes, very neat, very neat. <laughs> Which, oh, oh Quip City! Amazing. Malfoy apparently communicated with her via enchanted coins, and he says they got this idea from Dumbledore's army, and he got the idea for the poison mead when he overheard Hermione talking to Harry in the library about the whole Romildevane potion thing with Filch not recognizing potions. No one knows how to do anything in this place except for Hermione and Dumbledore, uh, obviously. Well, I mean, Hermione done goofed. She should have thrown Muffliato before they talked about it. But oh, I mean, to be fair, she was talking about something innocent, blah, blah, blah. You can't really blame her. When he is describing getting the idea from Hermione, he calls Hermione a mudblood, and Dumbledore says, don't use that offensive word in front of me. Malfoy laughs and says, you care about me saying mudblood when I'm about to kill you? And Dumbledore just says, yes, I do, which, oh, oh, he's so, so pure. freaking good. He's so pure. He then has an amazing quote back to Quip City on the express train. But for being about to kill me, Draco, you have had several long minutes. I am more defenseless than you could have dreamed of finding me, and you still have not acted. So he's just absolutely cold-blooded here. Super-duper-duper cold-blooded. Dumbledore then moves on to ask Malfoy about what is happening tonight. He realizes that Malfoy knew that Dumbledore left the school because of Rosemurta, and Malfoy says yes, but she said you were just going for a drink and you'd be back, and Dumbledore says, well, I certainly did have a drink, and then turns to the camera the and camera. winks. <laughs> we had the same thought, my friend. Uh, it's clearly what happens. Malfoy says <laughs> that the mark was used just to get Dumbledore to show up, so I was kind of right there, but not fully right. He says that one of Dumbledore's men is dead, but he couldn't tell who because it was dark, but he stepped over the body. The narrator notes that Malfoy's voice raised an octave when he said this, though, so I don't know if he's bullshitting or if he's just embarrassed by not knowing who it was, so I don't know if someone of the Order of the Phoenix is actually dead, but I'm going to be super pissed if after all of this settles down and they go back in and they're like, oh yeah, by the way, Kingsley Shacklebolt is dead. I will be so upset. I really hope that it's not someone that we care about. I hope that it's Malfoy just bullshitting, but... We will have to see. I also hope a student isn't dead either, which is more of a concern when Fenrir Greyback makes his return. Maybe Malfoy was a little bit nervous because he thought it might have been a friend. I don't, maybe, oh, maybe that's but, what it is. Oh, come Malfoy well, doesn't have any friends. Well, but Dumbledore, that's what Dumbledore says when Fenrir shows up. He's like, oh my God, you invited this guy? Like where your friends oh, live? Oh, right. That's yep. fucked up, Yeah, man. yeah, yeah. That's, uh, but I mean, uh, 
yes, killing children is bad, but if it's like Crabber Goyle or Pansy, like, is it that bad? I'm, it's bad. It's still bad. I'm, I'm going to nip that in the bud. Malfoy's plan was to be waiting up at the, I've already forgotten the words. What is, is it? Crenellated? What is it? Uh, um, uh, <laughs> we got to look it up. Cremated. No, it's not cremated. <laughs> yeah, I think it's crenellated something. Crenellated ramparts. Crenellated ramparts. Wow, it took us about 10 minutes to quit caring about that. <laughs> the plan was that Malfoy was going to be waiting at the crenellated ramparts for Dumbledore to arrive. He says, but your phoenix got in the way. And Dumbledore says, yes, they do that. Which, man, just on a one-way ticket to Quip City. City. The screams of the fight below grow louder and louder, and then it starts to sound as if people are running up the stairs. Dumbledore tells Malfoy that they need to discuss his options, and Malfoy goes, my options? I'm standing here with a wand. I'm about to kill you. Dumbledore, who is now the mayor of Quip City, says, my dear boy, let us have no more pretense about that. If you are going to kill me, you would have done it when you had first disarmed me. You would not have stopped for this pleasant chat about ways and means. <laughs> it's oh, so fucking good. It's incredible. It and is absolutely incredible. That gets him. Because then he's like, oh my God, mm -hmm. I haven't gotten the options. Yep. So Malfoy says he doesn't have a choice. This really does work because Malfoy says, I don't have a choice. Voldemort will kill my whole family. Dumbledore says, this is exactly why I didn't confront you earlier. If Voldemort knew that I suspected you, he would have killed everybody. Dumbledore says that he explicitly never said anything to Malfoy about it because he feared that when Malfoy met with Voldemort, he would use legitimacy against him. This just proves that Dumbledore is such a great man. He's such a great headmaster. He's so selfless because he could have saved his own ass, but he wanted to keep this awful garbage kid who has an awful garbage family alive and well even if it puts his own life in danger, which inevitably leads to his death. Oh, he's so amazing. But then, so, Dumbledore has a line when they're talking about his options where Malfoy's like, you know, he's going to kill me if I don't do this. And Dumbledore says, he cannot kill you if you are already dead. Which is deep. I was imagining him to be like, Harry, now! Like, oh. <laughs> I thought that for half a second, but then he does go on to explain it. But then... <laughs> It's right at the page break, too. So it's like, what? It is the right at the page break. There we go. <laughs> Idiot Harry's like, what? What? <laughs> so, <laughs> so what the full quote is, he can't kill you if you're already dead. Come over to the right side, which I think is a very clever way to not say come over to the light side so that they don't get sued by LucasArts. <laughs> he says, come over to the right side, Draco, and we can hide you more completely than you can possibly imagine, which is nice and a good sentiment. He even goes on to offer to send order members to his family to keep them safe and says that your father is safe in Azkaban, but we can keep him safe outside of it. And right after he explains this, four Death Eaters bust in. The four people are a brother and sister duo, and they describe the brother as lumpy. And this is not the first time as we will describe him as lumpy. Literally every time we talk about this dude, he's described as lumpy. So wait, before you get onto these guys, uh -huh. there was the ultimate quip where Malfoy says, you're my mercy, and Dumbledore says, no, Draco. It is my mercy, not yours, that matters now. <laughs> so and it is good. at that moment that Dumbledore is elevated from mayor to president. 
Brother of Quip Quip Nation. Nakuno, it's now Quip, Quip Nation. Quip Nation, baby. <laughs> it's moving up. So the four Death Eaters bust in. The lumpy guy's name is Amicus. His sister is Electo. And Dumbledore welcomes them in calmly, quote, as if welcoming them to a tea party. <laughs> he says, good evening, Amicus. And you've brought Electo too. Dot, dot, dot. Charming. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> One of the uh, best parts of Voldemort being back and out in the open is the introduction of Death Eaters who don't have kids at Hogwarts, but who are just like stray sort of one-off Death Eaters because they're all fucking psycho. It's awesome. They're absurd. And they all, of course, in classical J.K. Rowling fashion, are hideously ugly because, of course, if you're ugly, you have to be evil or bad at magic. Amicus says, think your little jokes will help you on your deathbed? And Dumbledore says, jokes? No, no. These are manners. (laughs) He keeps one-upping himself. These are so good. They're so absolutely phenomenal. Then we hear from one of the Death Eaters that we have not heard described, do it. And eventually we learn that this is Fenrir Greyback. He then goes on to lick his lips as blood runs down his cheeks. And he tells Dumbledore, you know how much I like kids, Dumbledore. And this very much concerns me. I don't want another student to be murdered. I don't want it to be one of Harry's friends. I don't want it to be someone that we like. I'm really scared of who it's going to be. I don't want it to be anyone innocent, like a Colin Creevy type thing. And you definitely don't want it to happen via cannibalism. Yeah. The assumption is that he bit a kid. I hope that they just are in the hospital wing and they're okay. I really, uh, I really don't want a kid to be dead, but we will have to see. I don't know what happens. So that's what it is, right? If a werewolf is not in his wolf form, and he's eating people that's cannibalism. Can we can we clarify that? Yeah, but I guess we don't know if he has just turned back into a person or if he did straight up do it. Because Dumbledore, Dumbledore calls him out. Says, yeah, he's like, yeah, you're you can't right. be satisfied once a month, and then Greyback's like, that's right, shock you. So can you only become a werewolf once a month? I guess full it is moon. only on a full moon. Are full moons only once a month? I, roughly. A little bit less. Yeah, I guess it's straight up cannibalism. That's weird. She went dark, man. It's weird to not only be a cannibal, but to specifically want to eat kids. That's weird. It's absurd, <laughs> and I'm terrified of Fender Greyback. Y'all should see Mike's face right now. <laughs> I wish not a could. happy camper. A lot of brow furrowing going on. <laughs> Dumbledore realizes that he has this taste of flesh more than once a month. Fender says yes, and he asks if that frightens him. And Dumbledore says, well, I cannot pretend it does not disgust me. Dumbledore goes on to say that he is surprised that Malfoy let him in, and Malfoy says that he is shocked and didn't know that Fenrir Greyback was coming. Obviously, he wouldn't want him to eat any of his friends. The fourth Death Eater, who remains unnamed and basically undescribed, says, come on, Malfoy, you gotta get to it, you have a job to do. And then Malfoy looks terrified, Dumbledore looks pale, Amicus asks, what's happened to you then, Dumby? Which I think is great because if for anybody that is a $3 patron and has seen my notes, just for shorthand so that I don't have to keep typing out Dumbledore, I always call him Dumby in my notes. And I think it's great that someone actually calls him Dumby. (laughs) (laughs) Which I guess he is using as a mean term, either fake endearing or because it looks like Dummy. But... I always call it just because it's easier to type than Dumbledore. Dude, we're about to get real, though. Uh, We are about to get real. Harry then hears more people coming up the stairs, which means the Death Eaters didn't defeat the guards. They just did some sort of thing that stalled them, and then these four Death Eaters ran up the stairs. Draco is still hesitating. Fenrir steps up and says, I'll do it. And then this fourth Death Eater, who we still have not heard described or named, says no and uses a charm to push him aside. Then... 
Snape busts through the door and Lumpy Amicus says, Snape, we got a problem and gets right to it, meaning that it is clear that the Death Eaters still all trust Snape. Nobody really suspects him of any sort of double agent for Dumbledore situation. And Dumbledore then whispers to Snape, Severus, as if he is pleading and then again says, Severus, please. And Snape gazed at Dumbledore and for a moment there was revulsion and hatred etched into the lines of his face. Then he goes on and uses Vatican Davra and kills Dumbledore, the big plot twist that I knew but didn't know what happened right now. Now here is my question about the stare that he gazes at Dumbledore of revulsion and hatred. Is he just revolted and hating that he has to do it? Or is he putting on a face to look intimidating for the Death Eaters? I was kind of confused about what this description of his face was meant to convey. So I've listened to your podcast enough to know that you know that Snape is in some twisted way, ends up being not a bad dude. Mm -hmm. And before the seventh book came out, sort of in between the sixth and the seventh, there were so many little parts of this passage that people picked apart literally word by word to figure out what Snape's deal was, and that was one of them. What's very interesting, and this is the one thing that makes me so upset that I didn't know, is that the entire setup, if you don't know that in the end Snape is good, the entire setup of this book is that you know Snape is a double agent, but you don't know in which direction. And it's pretty equal with ways in which he's talking to Death Eaters about being on their side and Dumbledore about his side. So it's pretty even... And you can kind of go either way. And I'm very upset that I never got to really experience the back and forth tug of war of is Snape good or is Snape bad? It's sort of the crux of, I mean, that along with the one other question was sort of the two big questions going into book seven were what side is Snape going to fall on? And then where did the Horcrux go? You know, right. So Snape fulfills his unbreakable vow here. So he doesn't have to die. Yes, and I'm guessing that this is ultimately what it came down to where Dumbledore kind of realizes that there's only two things that can happen here because Malfoy's not going to kill him. Either Snape kills Dumbledore and then Snape gets to live, Malfoy gets to live, or Snape does not kill Dumbledore, Malfoy and his family gets murdered, and then maybe Snape's in danger too. So my understanding and my guess here is that Dumbledore and Snape had talked about this and they realized that having Snape as a double agent is more important than keeping Dumbledore alive. So you have to keep that relationship intact because that is so valuable to have someone that Voldemort completely trusts be a mole. That is huge. And more so than having Dumbledore's power and knowledge and all that, having someone close to Voldemort to where they can do him in is the most important thing. So he basically tells Snape, you got to execute plan murder. All I'll say is that that is exactly where I was at after reflection upon the first time reading book six as a you know whatever grade. oh so you thought snape was good and you figured that's what had to happen i thought snape was a good guy and i thought that they valued the double agent sort of relationship more than they valued dumbledore's ability with the order i would like to think that i would think the same thing if i didn't know it i probably would have been more negative in the beginning of the book when snape is a double agent that i would have been more suspect but given how many times throughout this book dumbledore has said he trusts snape i probably would lean towards thinking he was a good guy i won't tell you whether you have the the complete picture there okay cool i think about the unbreakable vow a lot because mm -hmm. if you break it you die right yes i have this sort of like understanding of that the way you die is not like instantaneous you just drop dead but you die in some, like, final destination kind of way. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Have you seen Final Destination? I've never seen it, but I understand the but concept. You, yeah, you know the concept. So, like, 
Snape doesn't kill Dumbledore and he's like standing in the great hall one day and like a bird flies in and like hits a student and the student like is blinded by this bird and like pushes over the sand things and it falls on Snape and crushes him. I love that before we started recording, you were like, oh, I got a great theory about the unbreakable vow. And it's this bullshit. (laughs) I had to throw it in. But yeah, I like the final destination theory. It's very silly and fun. It would be way more fun than just dropping dead. Yeah, man. I think that's the way it works. (laughs) It is now. It is officially canon. That is how it works. So that is the end of chapter 27. I'm still very confused about who that fourth Death Eater was. But basically, after Snape evaded Cadaver's Dumbledore, Harry couldn't scream. He just has to watch in silence. Dumbledore flies over the crenellated, what is it? The crenellated battlements? The crenellated crenellated ramparts. The crenellated ramparts. The book (laughs) in this section called it the battlements in this sentence. But we all know that it's the crenellated ramparts. Falls over those out of sight, and that's the end of chapter 27. All right, there, past Mike. Hold on for a second. It's time for Wingardium at Ridosa. Today's episode of Potterless is brought to you by Mrs. Fields. Look, it's already December, and if you're anything like me, you haven't done any Christmas shopping for anyone, and you are coming down to the wire, and you've got to get some gifts. Well, why don't you get them a gift that they will definitely love? And what will they definitely love? Cookies. It is a proven fact that no one has ever complained about receiving cookies ever in the history of existence. So why don't you go with that tried and true gifting method? And Mrs. Fields is the perfect place to do that. They've been making delicious treats for over 40 years. They make flavorful desserts that just melt in your mouth from cookies to brownies to whatever sweet you want to get for your friend, your colleagues, your loved ones, whoever it may be. These holiday gifts are great because you don't have to think about anything. They've already got a whole wonderful package lined up, but you can customize it with a personal message, a picture, a company logo, so it looks like you put a ton of effort into it, but really, you didn't. And it's so wonderful, and everyone will love the gift. They offer a 100% customer satisfaction guarantee, so you know everything's going to be just fine. And right now, my listeners can get 20% off your order when you go to mrsfields.com and enter the promo code POTTERLESS. That is 20% off any gift at mrsfields.com if you use the promo code POTTERLESS. So get some cookies, get some brownies, send them over to whoever needs a Christmas gift and watch their face erupt in a smile because they have just received cookies and brownies and delicious treats for Christmas. Again, that's mrsfields.com and use the promo code POTTERLESS to get 20% off your order. And now you'll hear words from a few sponsors who make it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. Some of these ads will be read by me, others of them won't. The ones that aren't are inserted locally, so if you live internationally, don't be surprised if you hear an ad in your country's native language. And once those ads are complete, we'll get back to this episode of POTTERLESS. This episode of Potterless is brought to you by Arena Club. Now, if you listen to this podcast, it should be no secret that I am both a sports nerd and more of a traditional nerd. And when you think of these two types of nerddom, there's one thing that links them together, and that is card collecting. Whether you are looking to buy, trade, sell, or display a card collection of sports cards or Pokemon cards, you should check out Arena Club. ArenaClub.com is the place where you can do all of these things. I have recently made a purchase on the marketplace. I got Lieutenant Surge's Raichu, which is my favorite Pokemon, and I didn't even know that there was a Lieutenant Surge version of the Raichu. So that is a card that I now have, and it's not just some digital thing. I can have this card physically mailed to me. So there's a bunch 
bunch of cool stuff you can do with Arena Club, including their slab packs. If you have ever done any sort of card collecting, you know that ripping packs or repacks can be a zero transparency type of thing where you're just hoping you get some sort of cool card. But what's nice about the slab packs with Arena Club is that you have full transparency. You see what available cards are there, what your percentage of getting them is, what the gradings are, so it is not a complete black box. You're going into this knowing what cards you might get. And I've been using Arena Club, and it's pretty cool. It's very easy for me to look up different cards. I can favorite them, see what I want, and then whenever I want them shipped to me, I can get them shipped to me, and then I'll have the physical versions of them. Right now, you can get 10% right off your first purchase right now, by going to arenaclub.com slash Wow, that is a wild offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack is 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash Potterless for 10% off your first purchase. So if you collect some cards or work open some packs in a more transparent way, whether you're a sports nerd or Pokemon nerd or all sorts of nerds like me, you can use Arena Club today. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. So then we get into chapter 28, Flight of the Prince, which I gotta say, right off the bat, I have a huge problem with the title of this chapter and the little illustration for it because it ruins the entire plot twist of knowing who the Half-Blood Prince is. Because you turn to this chapter and you see Flight of the Prince. There's only two people really running away. And it's not going to be Malfoy, so it has to be Snape. And then the picture is Snape with a big angry face. So while I know that the illustrations are not officially sanctioned by J.K. Rowling to approve. But who the hell thought it was a good idea to put the plot twist that happens in the middle of the chapter in the title and in the image? I don't want to, like, what? At least it's not Snape doing that on the cover. <laughs> <sighs> I mean, at least it's not called, hey, Snape's the Half-Blood Prince. And then Harry it's Potter a picture and of- Snape, who is the Half-Blood Prince. <laughs> Harry Potter and the Severus Snape. But uh, I, I, I was really disappointed. I already assumed it was Snape. But if it was someone who wasn't fully convinced that it was Snape like me, that would have been such a big letdown. Like uh, Seamus Finnegan. Uh, <laughs> of course it's Seamus. But I don't know. Usually the illustrations in the title are very coy about what it is. And usually the illustration does not have to do with whatever the biggest reveal of the chapter is. And usually they're really fun. Like when the first thing happened with the blood written on the wall in the second book and you see the heir of Slytherin message thing, the picture is just a frozen, petrified Mrs. Norris. And when you open that and you see heir of Slytherin returns, why is this cat frozen? That's way more fun. So even if... J.K. Rowling wanted to make the title The Flight of the Prince. That'd be like Ginny drawing drawing in blood in chapter 14 in the, in the illustration. <laughs> but like at the very least, what you can do is make the drawing not Snape. I don't know. I was very disappointed. I was very upset by this. Anyway, you know it's going to be Snape, but we already knew this. So Harry is absolutely shook given what has just happened. <laughs> 
three of the Death Eaters leave, except for this unnamed one. And only then does Harry realize that he can move again. He was just frozen in shock after Dumbledore died. Now that Dumbledore is dead, technically nothing is keeping Harry in this Petrificus Totalis type of bind. Harry then throws his invisibility cloak aside and hits the fourth Death Eater who started to run down the stairs with Petrificus Totalis. Um, And he hears him kind of just topple down the stairs as a frozen body, which is a fun little image. Especially, I don't know if you are playing the Harry Potter iPhone game, but when you do Petrificus Totalis to people, they freeze in this hilariously comic position where they look like a uh, a walking man sign, but running. <laughs> like, they look like a stick man in mid-run. So I'm just imagining <laughs> him falling down the stairs in this ridiculous pose, just clunk, clunk, clunk all the way down. I am not playing the Harry Potter game, but it's certainly on my list of to-dos. It's just not particularly high on my list of to-dos. Here's the thing with the game. It's a fun story, but it's one of those games that purposely makes you wait before you can go on or you can pay money to skip the wait times. The story is captivating. The game itself is annoying. Are you telling me that the Harry Potter universe has become something that they just monetize over and over and over? No way. But if you want to skip all that, I have the bonus episodes of me just playing through the story and you're a $5 patron, so you can check them all out. I sure am. So if you just want to skip them, a lot of people have commented on Patreon. They're like, oh my God, I'm so glad you're doing this. I got so upset with the game. I stopped playing after like a week. (laughs) So now I can at least know the story is. Uh, I'm very excited. And I'll do Potterless episodes about that later down the road. But the way that they freeze some Petrificus Totalis, I imagined Harry doing this to this Death Eater and it made me laugh. So Harry, even after doing this, is just in utter disbelief. He starts running down the stairs towards the fight, which Snape and Malfoy are just completely running through. So it says that Harry leaps 10 steps down the Yes, it did. He, the last. Now, here's the thing. Not just leaping 10 steps is difficult, but how do you leap down 10 steps of a spiral staircase unless the only thing that I can think is if you do the thing where you like kind of grab the handrail and somewhat hurdle yourself over it type of deal, but you can't really jump down a spiral staircase. He's like a rad teen now. (laughs) Yeah, the only thing I can think is that 10 steps is one like 180 degree clockwise thing and he just kind of jumped over the edge of it and it wasn't that bad. And I guess 10 steps of a spiral staircase is at least less laterally than what 10 regular stairs would be. So it would just be a vertical type fall. But yeah, it was pretty dramatic when it said Harry skipped the last 10 steps. I just said, whoa, wow. (laughs) I'm glad you caught on to that. Have you seen the movie Hot Rod? Yes. Oh, it's so phenomenal. So what immediately pops into my head is the scene where Rod like falls for two minutes, like down oh, the of course. Harry jumping the ten <laughs> steps and just blowing it and just like rolling through the whole fight and everything. <laughs> uh, if only. So after Harry approaches the fight, Fenrir Greyback attacks him. And after a bit of struggling, Harry is able to hit him with Petrificus Totalis. And what's really funny is that he's got this very large figure frozen on top of him. So it takes him a while to push this frozen stiff body off of him. (laughs) So after he gets that off, he starts running again and he feels something slick and squishy under his feet. And he realizes that it's two bloody corpses and just has to keep on running because there's no time to investigate. So it's a very grim image, but also he doesn't have the time to process if that was a friend or a foe. He just gets to notice, oh, corpses, and has to keep going. The 16-year-old. <laughs> yeah, he's 16. 16-year-old boy. 16. That's very <laughs> real. 
So he keeps running and he sees that Ginny is fighting Amicus, who is again described as lumpy. And Amicus is throwing crucios while Ginny is kind of dodging back and forth. And he's laughing at her. Ha 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 ha. You can't dodge forever. But then Harry just kind of throws an impedimenta at him and he gets slammed against the wall behind Ron, McGonagall, and Lupin, who are all fighting Death Eaters of their own. You know, you get some more of the Karos in book seven and these guys are fucking crazy like oh they're so the death eaters good. that you meet in the seventh book yeah oh, so electo and amicus the caros um that's oh their that's last their name. last name yeah. oh, okay i don't think they actually said their last name in this they just said amicus and what the other one with an a got it well spoiler alert uh, the spoiler alert they have a last name <laughs> and they're fucking psycho it's awesome okay it was this weird thing where like they spent a lot of time describing them not too much time but always kind of describing what they looked like and stuff but then it seemed pretty unnecessary because they just seemed to be goons i was wondering why they went through the effort of naming these two and continually describing this one guy's lumpy and weird looking and then the next step down is the blonde death eater who they don't name but they just call him this big blonde guy and then the next step down is the fourth one that was with him that they never name and i don't know if that was just a laziness thing or if that's supposed to be some big reveal that that is a Death Eater that is particularly significant and they didn't name who that was. I just found it strange that they had three different tiers of describing people <laughs> for the same gang of four people that was doing all of the same tasks. But Tonks is fighting the big blonde Death Eater and Neville is face down on the floor. But when Harry runs over to him, he says he's okay and he tells Harry where Snape and Malfoy went. Harry continues to chase them. He's taking all these shortcuts and stuff and he does this really cool move where he's going through a secret passageway and just busts through a tapestry and appears in front of a bunch of Hufflepuffs in the hallway in their pajamas and he keeps going, which is very action movie-esque, like breaking through a billboard or something and just continuing to go. It was like a more intense version of the Ferris Bueller running scene. You know the old arcade game <laughs> where it's like Ninja Turtles or like the Simpsons ones or something where you only go right and you just like fight people <laughs> along the way and avoid obstacles <laughs> along the way. That's what I am at. Like, this would be a dope arcade game. <laughs> like Harry chasing after <laughs> Snape and Malfoy. That would be so good. That would be great. <laughs> so Harry keeps on running. He gets outside and he sees three figures running, basically trying to get outside of the gates of Hogwarts so that they can disapparate. The three figures are the large blonde Death Eater, Snape and Malfoy. So Harry gets hit from behind with a jinx and it knocks him over. He kind of hits his head and starts bleeding out of his nose. He realizes that this has to be the bro and the sister duo. And while he is rolling and tumbling forward, since he was running at full speed, he just throws an impedimenta and hits one of them, which trips the other. And even narrator Harry describes it as miraculously making contact. <laughs> <laughs> what It just seems like a dope move, which means it's not going to be in the movie. So Hagrid has now entered the chase because he has come out of his hut and he starts fighting with the blonde Death Eater, which allows Harry to pass the two of them. Harry tries to shoot a stupefy at Snape, but it misses. Snape tells Malfoy to run and then in a complete boss hog move just turns around to face Harry, which is super intimidating. Can you imagine how differently this all turns out if Harry just didn't miss with the first stupefy and just nails Snape in the back? <laughs> it would have changed everything. It would have been such a game changer because like Snape's down. Like what happens then? Like how does that play out? I, Malfoy probably still tries to run away. Yeah, I imagine so. Given what we've seen out of Malfoy this chapter and the last yeah. chapter. He's not necessarily the most moral of person. He's just a big baby. So after Snape does this dramatic turnaround, 
all the book says is Crucy and then a hyphen, and you think that it might be Snape, but it turns out that it's actually Harry. This is Harry's go-to move when he's really mad. This is the exact same thing he did when Bellatrix was running away from him. So Harry has a type of move that he does when he's chasing someone out of anger. If one of the few sort of parental figures or grand parental figures in my life was was murdered, that might be my go-to move as well. Sure. I, th- I think that's probably a reasonable thing. Yeah. But can you imagine like the sort of necessity, what you need to do that spell? Obviously, I don't know what that means at all because I've never done a single spell in my whole life. But <laughs> Harry, after Sirius died, couldn't muster it. And I, I don't imagine he would have had it here. Like what? Man, that, that's fucked up. I think you have to have really, truly cruel intentions and Harry is just too pure to do it. Yeah, and I, I don't think sort of rage or vengeance counts necessarily as no. these cruel like you just have to want to do it for the sake like intrinsically wanting to do it yeah you want to be purely evil and i guess there is some inherent good within trying to avenge someone that was a very good person so the crucio does come from harry but snape is able to block it the blonde death eater then hits hagrid's hut with incendio which is not cool because hagrid screams that fang is inside there so he is freaking out about that Harry tries Crucio again. Snape blocks it again. Snape says, no unforgivable curses from you, Potter. (laughs) You haven't got the nerve or the ability. And Harry tries Incarcet, which gets cut off. Is that Incarcio? I'm not exactly sure what spell that is. I think it's Incarcerous. I don't know. I've never seen that one before. Yeah, I'm going to Google it. Incarcerous spell. Incarcerous is a spell that conjures. Oh, it's the rope one. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, Snape has used the rope one a couple times. So Harry tries to do that one. Snape deflects it. The book describes it as almost lazily. I don't know if it was that one or a future one, but one of the things Harry throws at him is Snape deflects it, and the book says it's almost lazily, which, ooh, very good. Harry says, fight back, fight back, you cowardly, and this sets Snape off. He screams, don't call me a coward. He then goes on to mock Harry for calling him a coward, saying that James only fought Snape when it was four on one. Harry is not listening to this and just keeps trying to throw everything in his power. He tries to throw Stupefy, it gets blocked. I, I, I love in this part how Snape is saying the same shit he says to Harry like in class. Like it doesn't matter <laughs> if you're like at literal war with someone or if you're just like a dick teacher, Snape's just going to be Snape, I guess. <laughs> That's just how he rolls. Harry tries to stupefy, Snape blocks it, and Snape says, blocked again and again until you learn to keep your mouth shut and your mind closed, Potter. I can't get enough of that Snape. It's probably my best voice. (laughs) (laughs) The rest of the episode in Snape voice. Oh my goodness. So this I thought was particularly interesting though, because this is basically saying that Snape is so good at legitimacy that he knows exactly what his opponent is going to do before he even throws it, which is very intense. It's an incredibly helpful skill to have when you're dueling with someone. It's very much Neo in the Matrix type thing where you just see exactly what your opponent is going to do and it makes your whole life very simple. I thought that was a very interesting thing to kind of have laid out is that, oh, wow, yeah, that's why Snape is so good at dueling. He knows what you're going to do the whole time. Yeah, it's pretty badass, but also like it, it just sort of speaks to the level at which the teachers are at Hogwarts are operating relative to the students. Like, oh, a whole nother Harry level. Had no chance in this fight. Unless, mm-hmm. as stated previously, he had hit Snape with his first <laughs> freaking stupid. Yeah, but that wouldn't have happened. <laughs> so Snape orders the blonde Death Eater to hurry up and leave. 
Harry starts to do impedimenta, but then he feels an excruciating pain from his back. He feels like he will die, so I don't know if he actually got hit with a vaticadaver or if it was just Crucio, but he feels like that's about to happen. Snape yells, no, and then the pain stops as quickly as it started, so clearly Snape did something to keep him alive. So this is another point in which even if you didn't know Snape turns out to be a good guy, you kind of think, ah, Snape is keeping Harry alive. He masks this as saying that the orders are to leave Harry for the Dark Lord. But I think what's really up is that Snape wants to keep Harry alive because he's a good guy. So a couple things there. One, I definitely don't think he got hit with a Vicodavra because if he did. Is that instant? It's instant. It's the act that you got no shot unless you're Harry in (laughs) one as a baby. Second thing you'll see that Voldemort does have this obsession, and he has it in book four, too, when they're at the graveyard, with him yes. finishing the job. he wants to do it himself. That is something that continues to play out. So I, I don't know that this was necessarily any sort of breadcrumb. I mean, I think it could be both. The thing is, you're right, that Voldemort does have the obsession with him being the one to murder Harry because Voldemort is too obsessed with the prophecy. And Dumbledore has stated that that is a fault of Voldemort, is that he is so obsessed with the prophecy that he is living his life by it. And because he is doing that, he's willing it into being, which will ultimately lead to his demise. But I think it could be a little bit of both, where it's a move that is a win-win for Snape, because if he is a good guy, which at least I know that he is, He's keeping Harry alive for the purposes of good. And as a bad guy, he can at least have the excuse to say, ah, I'm doing this for a good reason, trust me. Yeah, and I think maybe it's just the context that you have where you can look at that and say, oh, like, this makes sense given what I know. Mm -hmm. But certainly I remember at the time reading this, there was no sort of inkling that that gave me that Snape might have been not, you know, 100% evil. Sure. Were you fully convinced that he was evil? You didn't think he was a good guy? I didn't know. I really didn't know. Because as I thought about it, even though I know the answer and I know that he turns out to be good, the fact that Dumbledore said Severus, Severus, please just made it seem like it was predetermined. Like it seemed like a plan that they had talked about before, which makes me think. But I mean, I guess even if they had the plan, you could still think that Snape was doing it just to trick Dumbledore. So I'm not really sure. But that kind of thing, I just want to give the benefit of the doubt to Dumbledore because he's freaking Albus Dumbledore. Right. And I do know that I did not have the full picture Whatever my prediction was, I don't really remember, but I know that I didn't have it all, and I can guarantee that you don't either. Yeah, I still know some stuff, but I do not know any particular details of the seventh book especially. Correct. I honestly don't really know anything about the seventh book, seeing that all of the major spoilers I knew happened in this one. Right. So I'm going into seven completely blank. I don't know anything about what's going to go down, so I'm very excited. The only thing I do know is that apparently there is some camping thing that everybody hates. <laughs> That's the only thing I know about the seventh book. <laughs> I don't hate the camping. Okay. I'm, I'm not a hater. All right, good, 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 good. So the brother, the sister, and the blonde Death Eater go with Snape. Harry tries to use Sectum Sempra, but it gets blocked. Harry tries Levacorpus, and then he's able to see Snape's face, which shows no sneering, no jeering, just rage, and he screams, no, Potter. And then a loud <laughs> bang sends Harry flying backwards, and his wand flies out of his hand, too. Snape approaches him and steps over him and says, you dare use my own spells against me, Potter? It was I who invented them. I, the Half-Blood Prince. And at that point, I imagine a giant bolt of lightning <laughs> crashes behind him, and then an organ player goes, dun, dun, dun. So this is where we get the confirmation that I suspected very early on that it was Snape. Snape is the Half-Blood Prince. I thought that was a very dramatic reveal. I did not expect this to be the reveal. 
I didn't think this was how it was going to go down. I thought it was going to be Hermione coming back when she said she was looking at potions awards. I thought she was going to come back with all of those and be like, Snape's won every potion award ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not entirely wrong about that with the whole Hermione doing research thing as you sure. find out later. Yeah, you learn about the Eileen Prince situation. I like that Hermione's like, I was kind of right, blah, blah, blah. But this is the co- Snape says, hi, uh, it was me. I think that's a bit Excuse more concrete me, me. than Hermione's research. You know, in the chapter picture title. <laughs> yeah. So Snape goes on to say, and you turn my inventions on me like your filthy father, would you? I don't think so. No. So we learn that Snape is very upset with the fact that he invented Levicorpus and then it was the spell that James and the Marauders used a lot to bully him, which makes sense. It would suck to invent something really cool and powerful and then just have that constantly used against you. How the fuck do you invent a spell? I've thought about this and maybe just because they're all Latin, you can just kind of, or most of them have Latin inspiration. You can just start thinking of some stuff and saying Latin words and maybe it works, but it does seem like a very interesting and complex thing to do. And of course, J.K. Rowling doesn't explain how it ever works because that's how the Harry Potter books work. Of course. And I guess there are like books on magical theory and the sort of science or, you know, whatever their magic equivalent of science. I guess science mm-hmm. is magic. <laughs> Maybe that was rooted in something when he did. But, like, truly, you're right. It's just you have to find the word that makes the thing happen with your wand, really. <laughs> yeah, and I've had some people compare it to chemistry, which I think makes more sense for potions because then you're just kind of combining a bunch of stuff and seeing what happens. And, oh, whoops, I made penicillin. But <laughs> when it comes to making a spell, it seems much more arbitrary because the spells don't have particular rules that we at least know about. So it seems weird just to kind of start flailing your wand in random directions and saying a word with a particular intent in mind. I don't know. And then somebody just gets massive gashes all over their body. Yeah, like, like what was the creation process of Sectum Sempra? <laughs> like, how did that go down? This is kind of akin to the who milked the first cow question. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. So now we learn why this set Snape so off, because Levicorpus in particular is this thing that he was proud of inventing and then just constantly was used against him. Harry dives for his wand. Snape sends it away with another hex. And then Harry says, kill me then like you killed him, you coward. And Snape yells, don't call me coward. So he yells what? Snape yells, don't call me coward. It's hard (laughs) to yell in the Snape voice. Don't call me coward. It's perfect. (laughs) And Snape whips Harry in the face (laughs) with something white hot, which is intense. And then enter Buckbeak. Buckbeak just flies in and starts clawing at Snape. Snape does manage to run away, escape, and then disapparate. Harry looks for Hagrid and sees him with Fang draped over his shoulders. Hagrid brings Harry up to his feet, and Harry says that they should put out the house fire with Aguamenti, so they do it. Could have done it straight in the Dumbledore's mouth. I know, yeah, bringing up what we said before. You could have, but you didn't. I love the Buckbeak entrance so much here. I'm just imagining, like, flash of wings, and it's like, ah! <laughs> yeah, it's a very movie-esque type thing. Yeah. This is something to happen in a movie where it looks like all hope is lost. Guess what? It doesn't. Oh my god, what the fuck is in the movie? <laughs> Nothing. Nothing is in the movie. Harry and Ramil Devane make out and that's it. Next episode, we're gonna talk about the funeral, which I've also heard is not in the movie. Yeah, man. Uh I'm not I'm not looking forward to watching this film at all because it's nothing's gonna be in it. Hagrid says that the house is something that Dumbledore can fix. He keeps trying to go on about what happened, ask Harry what happened, but Harry has to keep trying to butt in so he can tell Hagrid that Dumbledore died and that Snape killed him. And basically, Harry 
busts out, just blurts it out. Snape killed Dumbledore. Hagrid doesn't believe him. He really wants to believe that Dumbledore is okay. Dude, Hagrid not believing him is the saddest shit ever. Oh, it's so ever. sad. It is so sad. Oh so, my so, so, so God. Sad. Yeah, absolutely heartbreaking. So they walk back towards the grassy area at the base of the tower, which is under the dark mark. And I know that that is not exactly what it was meant for because they were trying to make it so that they would kill Dumbledore right on the crenellated ramparts. But it is <laughs> still very ominous. That, <laughs> it is still very ominous that he did end up landing under the dark mark. So it's still kind of fit. Uh, it sucks. It sucks so much. But Harry approaches the dead body, he fixes Dumbledore's glasses and wipes the blood off his chin, and he notices the locket next to Dumbledore's body, meaning we are confirmed that someone picked up the locket, even though they didn't say it before. <laughs> oh, thank God. Oh, yeah. thank God, so we got it. <laughs> the locket has been flung open, and it doesn't look like the Slytherin locket. It is not as big, it doesn't have the big S engraved on the outside, and nothing is inside of it except for a slip of parchment. It is a note written from an R.A.B. And it says that this person learned the Horcrux secret and stole the real one with the intention to destroy it as soon as possible. There's a quote that says, I face death in the hope that when you meet your match, you will be mortal once more, which is simultaneously the coolest thing ever and the saddest thing ever because it means the trip, which ultimately led to Dumbledore's death, was a waste of time. So this launched like however many straight years until the seventh book came out of speculation on who is R.A.B. Yes, I do have a theory about who R.A.B. is. What's your theory? But it didn't come into play until I read the next chapters, so we'll talk about it then. Also, this episode is running pretty long, so okay, we'll talk about that next time. But I do have someone in mind, and I'm very confident in who I think it is. Okay. Uh, not Ludo Bagman, even though... B is in the initials, which is close. Rudo Bagman. Yeah. The, the only thing that I wrote for my notes at this time for reading chapter 28 was, who is R.A.B.? Are they alive so Harry can work with them? Ah, but Harry quickly moves on. He doesn't really give a damn about any of this. The only thought that he has was my initial thought was that this whole trip, which severely weakened Dumbledore, was for nothing. And he feels really bad about that. And then Fang howls into the sky. And that is the end of chapter 28. And that is the end of this episode of Potterless. So, Johnny, chapter 27, chapter 28, how are you feeling? Man, Dumbledore, he goes out with a bang. He goes from yeah. athlete Dumbledore to Quip City uh -huh. on the crenellated ramparts. Mm -hmm. But this is undoubtedly, if not the biggest, one of the top two major gut punches in the entire series, right? It's the biggest so far. Serious is one thing. The serious one was more surprising than anything because it was just all of the sudden he's fallen through this thing and we don't know what it means. And then the next chapter is Lupin saying, no, 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 that veil was death. But this one obviously hurts more because it's Dumbledore. And it's Dumbledore right after they started to make progress on the Horcrux thing. And that's exactly it, is right? Harry had this person who he assumed in this fight against Voldemort was always going to be there to give him guidance and direction. And he would never really had to think for himself necessarily on what he was going to have to do. Yeah. And Dumbledore did so much on that trip. Harry was an idiot and Dumbledore steered it. Now Harry's got to find the other four by himself. That's exactly right. He is truly sort of has a blindfold on and has to go padding around for these things for the next however long it's going to take. Yeah, man. It's disappointing because of that, obviously it's sad because it's a beloved character and a very powerful wizard dying. And it's just a lot of negative emotions all in one. And it's just very 
gut-wrenching, and you're right. I think this is the most significant gut punch. I can't think of one that is going to be worse because I just don't know who is going to die. I know that Ron and Hermione don't, so at least we get to avoid that. But I don't know. There's still potential ones that could happen, and it would be really sad, but this is a big one. It's Dumbledore. It's Albus Dumbledore. Yeah, like the, you know... Besides Harry, Ron, and Hermione, these stalwart of the series, truly. So it's yeah. painful. Um, I had this spoiled for me the first time I read the book, which was a damn shame. So I, oh, I read no. the whole book knowing that it was going to happen. Oh, man. That's worse than with me doing it because you probably were in a situation where it was less common to know the spoiler going into it. How, how did it happen? Did someone do it by accident or someone, one of those mean people that like drove by the book release and yelled it? I was at summer camp when it came out and a whole bunch of kids got it delivered to them and I didn't because oh. I guess I wasn't thinking ahead enough. And so all these kids are reading it and I was sitting on a bench next to one kid who somehow in the length of the summer camp as a child got to the end of the book and I like was just sitting next to him and looked at the page and there was one line on a page that said, since the night of Dumbledore's death. And I was oh, like, oh. that's the worst. Yeah, it was pretty bad. But we should probably oh, stop talking about this now because we've been talking yeah. for, you know, an hour and 15 minutes. We'll be, yeah, we'll talk forever. And we've already been talking for quite some time. Well, Johnny, thank you so much for joining and listeners, if you want to check out more of Johnny, he is a recurring character on some bonus episodes up on Patreon, and uh, he'll be back in the future for other stuff, especially when we later on down the road do some snitches get stitches episodes where we just make oh, fun baby. of Quidditch and go super analytical in why it doesn't make sense, asking questions like, is it tiring to play Quidditch <laughs> and <laughs> other fun stuff like that? What are the most important muscles to work out? So these are the hard hitting questions we will be doing later down the road, later in Ponderlis' tenure. But for now, thanks for joining, man. Listeners, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, as they say in the wizarding world of Harry Potter, <gasps> before they <gasps> drown themselves in ice cream to make up for the death of Dumbledore. <laughs> Wizard on! If you're enjoying Potterless and maybe you're all caught up and you just need someone to talk about it with, why don't you tell a friend or a family member about it? It really helps the show grow so much. Word of mouth is essential for podcasts because there's so many out there. So if you give someone a personalized review of a show that you like, it's a really good chance they're going to listen and then you'll have a new friend to talk about the show with. It's a win-win for everyone. Potterless is created by Mick Schubert, is hosted by Mick Schubert, is edited by Mick Schubert, it is produced by Mick Schubert, as well as Leanne Davis, Vicky Garcia, Aaron Johnson, Erica and Calvin Bauer, Sadie Baird, Jesse Horgan, Natalie Klobuchar, Deborah Wilkins, Klaus Lopu, Alex Stark, Rebecca Adamick, Frank Chiotto, Marchismo, Tori Larsic, Samantha Rose, Juan Sanfeli, Eugenia Dowsett, Kieran Webb, Luis Nusak, Abita Med, Caitlin Jordan, Pontelo, Benjamin Bridges, Rosemary Dodge, Jill Boulay, Marie Lisa C. Keen, Ariel Bird, Romina Rivadanira, Camille Doc, Anthony Bonarigo, Russell Dunk, Dustin Molan Cooch, Katie Rogers, Audra, Indiana Mercer, Eleanor Perlin, Sydney Cawthorn, Billy Hinton, Ross Anbatamana, Micah Cole, Andrea Franz, Nikki to Power, Colette Smith, Chrissy Hutton, Trini, Unadcat, Lala Palmer, Chelsea Green, Taylor Armstead, Lovekesh Longer, Shivarni Patel, Ellie Mountson, Cowmage, Cassandra Aponte, Roxy Chaos, Amelia Krauss, Sean Montag, Jeremiah E. Hurd, Sarah Nick, Jesus J. Morales, Ben Silver, Rachel Guthrie, Zachary Polito, Gabrielle Medcroft, Jessica Ann, Natalie Jung, Arnigan, the daughter, Brandy Baldonado, Melody McGinnis, Kristen Chavez, Jonathan Swaney, Zach Ross Klein, Elisa Figueroa, Daisy Curtin Sutter, Jessica Jacob, Orchid Grower, Jonathan Foy, Joe Harrison, Marcus Zeller, Isabel Steve Trelore, Vivian Santos, Samuel Minor, Victoria Renee, Elena, Takaria Ronter, Lee Ruiz, Brenna, Drake Perez, James Step, Haley Hastings, Marino, Braden Morrison, Moster, Taylor Fulton, Hannah Shepard, Angelina Withred, Ross Marie Heisen, Peter Bemis, Maria Vega, Fona Zebner, Natalie Lozano, Hermione Hoff, Victoria Julian, 
Lee Ganji, Singh, Alex Basholta, Brian Williams, Caitlin Sullivan, Cecily Togwell, Raul Avila, Julie Stuckey, Moussin Siddiqui, Grace Riggles, Sammy Curti, Raul Pineda, Ingun Oddstadter, Mary Wynn, Brian Wagner, Heidi Stoll, Alexandra Consolver, John Kotker, Kamel Doc, Jen and Juice, Seferine Baez, and Dusty Nickerum. Web design by Kelly Beckman, and the music is by Bettina Campomanes. You can find us at social media at facebook.com slash Potterless. That's also where the Potterless fancy private group exists. Twitter.com slash Potterless Pod. Instagram.com slash Potterless Podcast. Any and all information about the show is at our website, PotterlessPodcast.com, and all of the bonus content lives at Patreon.com slash Potterless. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, as they say in the wizarding world of Harry Potter, a wizard on! Wizard on!